Welcome to Talking in Vain, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. I'm Dawn Barrett, the Infusion Nurse Educator for the INS. Our topic today is a discussion about professional boundaries in practice. My guest is Rachel Coletta. Thank you, Rachel, for being our guest today. Thanks for having me, Dawn. So what I'm going to have you do is introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Thank you so much. Um, I've been a nurse for over 30 years, and I've done practically everything there is to do in nursing, from trauma ICU to medical devices to home infusion therapy. Most of my career has been spent in the infusion industry. I've worked as both a home infusion nurse and a nurse educator for a manufacturer of plasma products. I carry certifications in IG therapy, infusion therapy, and vascular access, I'm actively involved in educating patients and healthcare professionals. It's my passion, and it's why I'm so glad to be here today to talk about this really important topic of professional boundaries. So, Rachel, let's dig right in. Um, I'm going to have you define professional boundaries. Exactly what are we talking about? When we talk about professional boundaries, What we're really talking about are the spaces between the nurse's power and the patient's vulnerability. So breaking this down a little bit, in all nurse-patient relationships, the nurse always holds the position of power. The nurse holds the professional position and has a lot of access to the patient's personal and sensitive information. And so the difference in the amount of information that the nurse knows about the patient versus what the patient knows about the nurse creates this imbalance of power. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that nurses respect that position of power and maintain a therapeutic relationship with patients. So when we talk about a therapeutic relationship, what is that? Simply that is just allowing the nurse to use his or her skills and knowledge towards meeting the healthcare needs of patients. And they also protect the privacy and dignity of patients. So when we talk about why boundaries are so important, what they do is they establish limits that allow for safe relationships and connections between healthcare providers and patients. And they help the nurse to really kind of get a feeling for where he or she ends and the patient begins. And they also help the nurse in maintaining these therapeutic relationships by under this understanding the difference between being friendly and being a friend. Mm, very good. Well, then let's talk a little bit about the kinds of boundary violations that can occur in this relationship. Sure. So there are basically three types of boundary violations that can, can occur. The first one is known as a boundary crossing. The second category is boundary violations. And the third category is sexual misconduct. And we're going to talk a little bit about each of these. So for a definition of a boundary crossing, these are usually harmless violations that may be done inadvertently, and they do have the potential to lead to more serious boundary concerns down the line. These crossings, or drifts as I like to call them, are usually acceptable because the patient's well-being is usually the goal of this kind of of a crossing. When we get into boundary violations, these occur when there's confusion between 
what the nurse needs and what the patient needs. These are usually non-therapeutic crossings. They're unprofessional, and they can harm the patient in a variety of ways from physically to spiritually or emotionally. And these types of crossings are really self-centered purposes, and they're not acceptable in any way. They're usually also done in a private or secretive way. Mm -hmm. When we talk about sexual misconduct, this is the most serious of violations. This is any kind of sexual relationship that may develop. It doesn't need to be an intimate relationship, but any kind of flirting or inappropriate sexual behavior or texting that can go on between a patient and their healthcare provider. These are forbidden violations, and these can impact the patient in many serious ways. Very good. Thank you for that. You, you did a very nice job of clarifying those things. So let's talk about the difference then between boundary crossing and boundary violation, and give us a few examples of both if you're able. Perfect. I can do that um, for sure because when I, when I look at these types of violations, I realized very quickly that these were things that I had done in my nursing career, and I'm sure that many people listening have also done some of these boundary crossings without even realizing it. So when we talk about the simple boundary crossings, this can be something like just receiving food or cookies or goodies or gifts from patients because they, they appreciate the care that you're giving them. Um, also things like a nurse who will share minor personal details to a patient, usually to ease patient anxiety or fear. So just giving a personal experience that maybe the mm -hmm. patient is having at the same time that will kind of make the patient feel a little bit better. Other things like a nurse might bring the patient a meal or pick up a smoothie or a shake from McDonald's because maybe the patient is malnourished or needs increased calorie or needs PO intake. So the nurse is genuinely thinking about the patient's well-being when they stop and they might bring the patient something from the store. Other things like a nurse who will go out of her way to make sure the patient gets the time of the visit or the time that they need or prioritize one patient over another. Even something as simple as pet sitting. And I know that might sound crazy, but I have heard <laughs> stories of patients doing pet sitting for their healthcare provider when they're out of town or vice versa. Mm. These are things, you know, innocent as they may sound, do fall into the category of boundary crossings. Okay. So you're right. Uh, these are things that are very easy to kind of slip into. And that distinction between being friendly and a friend and being the professional caregiver really gets blurred. Yeah, absolutely. It's really important to be aware of these drifts. Uh, they could be trouble in the making. I mean, they can lead to further violations down the line. Nurses just need to remember that they're nurses all the time. So mm -hmm. moving on into the category of boundary violations, this is a little bit more serious than boundary crossings. And these are examples of this would be loaning money to a patient or accepting money of any kind from a patient, uh, developing a close relationship with a patient so that you are viewed as part of the family 
and not part of their healthcare team. Mm -hmm. This is very, very common. I hear nurses talk about this all the time, and I too felt very special to my patients, and I wanted them to feel like I was part of their family. And we allow these things to happen, especially in the home care environment. When we're seeing patients in their home environment and we're seeing them on a regular basis, mm-hmm. it's very easy to fall into a place where you feel like a part of that person's family. Mm-hmm. I think in the world of infusion nursing, too, we do have relationships with patients that go on for years that are extended and those relationships it's it's hard not to have shared so many holidays so many birthdays across the span of time without feeling a little more connected to the patient than than perhaps is professionally advisable that is so true and even when you think of attending patients family events like weddings or graduations or birthdays. These are celebrations and patients a lot of times want their nurses to be there because they feel like the nurse is part of their family. Um, Also things like friending on social media. Mm -hmm. This is a clear boundary violation where you are developing personal relationships with the patient or the family that could impact your ability to take care of them. And we definitely are going to bring up that topic of social media in just a little bit. So save those thoughts. Um, The next thing I'd like you to talk about is the continuum of professional behavior. I'd like you to describe that zone of helpfulness that you like to to describe. And, And tell us, how do we see ourselves on this continuum or this spectrum of professional care? Sure. So when I visualize this continuum of professional behavior, I see it as a line, almost like a timeline. And when you're looking at that line, on the left-hand side is under-involvement. On the right-hand side of that line is over-involvement. So right in the middle of that is the zone of helpfulness, which I like to call it. What that means is that's where the therapeutic relationship lives, right in that zone of helpfulness. If you're under-involved, this could be things like patient abandonment, neglect, or just disinterest in patient Mm -hmm. care. Mm -hmm. All of these things can be detrimental to the patient. When you're over-involved, this includes what we're talking about, boundary crossings, boundary violations. So we want to be in that range of therapeutic relationship. It's a place where we are able to provide the best care for the patients. But something to keep in mind is that there are no clear or definite lines. You can drift to the left or to the right at any time, and so you always have to be aware of where you stand in that therapeutic relationship with your patient. Now, I'm sure you're going to talk about this as we go on with our discussion, but I'm wondering if one of the strategies is to um, discuss ahead of time, discuss maybe even regularly when you're first forming that relationship and describing the nurse-patient relationship, and here's what this means, and here's what it won't ever mean. Do you see that being done? Is that a good approach? 
Absolutely. In fact, when we talk about strategies, that's the first thing I want to talk about. Mm. And I think the earlier you can address these things with the patients, the better off we're going to be in. And unfortunately, we often neglect to do that. Okay. Well, let's save that then. I don't want to steal your thunder there. Let's go (laughs) on and talk about social media. We know that there are problems with the use of social media and the role that it can play in creating professional boundaries and adhering to professional boundaries. Yes, you are so right. And I can say that I've been a nurse so long that social media didn't really come into the picture for me until about 10 years ago. But for these young nurses and nurses that are starting out now, it's such an important part of everyday life. It's one of the most utilized ways of communicating and really just staying connected to people. We have to remember that use of social media for healthcare professionals is another way that we can cross these lines and and the lines can get blurred. First of all, nurses, healthcare professionals in general, always need to check with their organization to see what their social media policy is. But there are some general guidelines that we can follow just to be on the safe side. And those are things like remembering that whatever you put out there never goes away. And so it's really Mm -hmm. important to take personal responsibility for anything that you post on social media. You want to use caution when connecting with patients and families. I would say you should avoid this. Um, That's just another way Mm -hmm. to blur those lines. Mm -hmm. Never post pictures of patients. And, again, this is what we do in this day and age. We want to stay connected. We want to show people that we have these connections. But pictures of patients should never be posted on social media, even if it's outside of the work environment, that is a line that you really should not cross. Okay, very good. So let's turn our conversation just a little bit and let's discuss who is at risk for boundary violations and what are some of the red flag behaviors? I would say that we are all at risk only because, as I said earlier, these crossings can be so subtle and so inadvertent, and it's really important to just always stay away, aware of the boundary violations. But I think when we're talking about specific groups that could be more at risk, I would say a lot of times might be younger or more inexperienced nurses or nurses that spend a lot of time with patients in the home environment. And this is exactly the category that I fell into doing IG therapy for so many years. I took care of patients for 14 years, and I was in their home for 6 to 10 hours. Mm-hmm. So I, looking back now, I was a prime person that would fall under these um, areas of high risk for professional boundary violations. I fit the bill to the T. I wanted to take care of patients. I knew them so well. I was a part of their family. I knew everything about them. And looking back, I understand clearly that I, I kind of drifted into the over-involvement line mm-hmm. on that continuum of professional care. Mm-hmm. Some other groups that may be at risk are healthcare professionals that take care of chronically ill or terminal 
patients or pediatric patients because these are the most vulnerable patients of all. And nurses really find themselves getting emotionally involved, not only with the patient, but the patient's family as well. Mm-hmm. So when we look at red flags, some of the behavior that should be flagged if you are doing it or if you notice a coworker doing it are just patients and nurses that talk about themselves as friends. And that happens a lot because we feel that way. Or healthcare professionals that give their home phone number to patients. Who hasn't done that? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the way we stay connected to them so that if they need something, we know that they have somebody to call. But that's also a red flag is a nurse who feels that only they understand the patient and they are the only person that can meet that patient's needs. So we want to make sure that we're not falling into those feelings. Mm. Um, Also, just giving too much information to patients, just giving out every personal issue that comes up in our lives. Because remember, these patients also feel an obligation almost to us. They, they see that we are taking care of them, and they feel obligated to also take care of us. Whether that's realistic or not, that's how they feel. Mm-hmm. So if you're discussing a financial crisis or a tax bill that you don't know how you're going to pay, oh, they yes. take on that burden. They want to help you. And so it's really important to be very careful about what you say to patients about your personal life. Right. Okay. It's such a good answer. Such a good answer. So now let's let's talk just a little bit about therapeutic use of self. And I believe that you are going to talk a little about physical touch and how this relates to this topic. Yes, this is a perfect opportunity to talk about this because as nurses, we know that part of caring for a patient is therapeutic touch. That is how patients feel calm and they feel safe and we touch them in a therapeutic way and they know that they are in good hands. But what you need to watch out for is the area of therapeutic touch. You have to be careful with any kind of physical touch that you're giving to a patient outside of caring for whatever physical needs they have. So we can hold their hand or we may rub their back or we may rub their hair. And these are ways that we use to comfort patients. Um, We may give them a kiss on the forehead. Um, Something really inadvertent. We are just showing natural affection for patients. However, you have to be careful with this because it may not bother the patient in the least. They may love having that kind of attention from you, but it may bother a family member. It may bother a visitor that just happens to be there or one of the patient's children. They may feel a little bit uncomfortable about that. So again, that's just another area that you have to be self-aware. And I don't mean to imply that we have to put all of these restrictions on the way we care for patients. I just want people to be self-aware and to think about their actions and how they might be perceived by other people within that that patient's um, social Mm -hmm. circle. Okay. 
So Rachel, I'd like to ask you to start moving us into the strategy phase. Can you, can you start pointing out to us some of the things that, that we can do as nurses to help ensure that we're maintaining professional boundaries? Yeah, of course. So what, and we started talking about this earlier, but I think it's really, really important to act early. The best time to talk about professional boundaries is the first time you see the patient. And every time after that, and it doesn't have to be a lecture each time, but there does need to be a constant open communication between what you can do for the patient and what you cannot do for the patient. Um, of course, when we talk about boundary crossings, those are those inadvertent or very harmless violations that, that sometimes happen. Those are usually acceptable. Again, as long as you have the patient's well-being in mind, we can, we can handle the fact that we might bring patient a, a drink or a small meal, especially if we know they need it. Those are harmless ones, but it is important to not make that something that constantly happens because that is a sure path to further violations. So talking early and talking often. If you start noticing any boundary issues or any kind of warning signs start showing up, it's really important to address those things immediately. And being considerate of their feelings, we certainly don't want to hurt a patient's feelings. And when they want to give you a cookie or they want to give you a cupcake, and there are also cultural aspects to consider with this as well. In some cultures, patient would be really offended if they offered you food and you said no. So we don't want to offend patients. So we need to always keep their best interest at heart and make sure that we are staying within these very subtle boundary crossings if they are to happen. If you're going to tell a patient anything personal about yourself, which you shouldn't, but if you are, it should be something that is told to them to help them get through their situation. So I think I said this earlier, but if you have gone through something similar or you have had a similar experience to what your patient is going through, it's okay to talk about it so that your patient sees that they can come through this, that other people have experienced this. Where the violations happen are when we start giving too much information, talking about our marriage, talking about our problems with our children, talking about our financial issues. Those are always topics that should be left outside of the patient care area. And another strategy would be use your peers and use your supervisor. If you think you're running into issues with patients or you feel uncomfortable about conversations that you may have had, don't be afraid to talk about it. Believe me, it is much better to address these issues than to let it become a worse situation where there can be serious consequences for the patient as well as the nurse and even the organization. Very good. So let's try something, Rachel. Um, when, when two human beings get together and they don't have a lot of familiarity, there are these lists of questions that we tend to ask one another, like, um, what do you do? How long have you worked there? Are you, you, you know, do you have a significant other? Do you have children? So all of those questions start coming out and 
you begin answering them just because that's what humans do. And all at once we realize we have just begun to fill in our biography for this patient. So tell us, you know, how, how do we at the very beginning of those questions and without being rude, without seeming that we're cold and we're closed off, how do we have good discussions that develop a, a rapport but don't uh, overshare? Yeah, you said the perfect word, and that is rapport. Because when you think about it, all of these relationships start on trust, and they're based on trust. And so we don't want to block ourselves off to patients so that they know nothing about us, and we're simply just providing routine care, and, and that's it. That's all we're doing. And it's okay to answer those questions because, as you said, that's what human beings do. And we're not divulging too much information. If we do say, yes, we're married, yes, I've been a nurse 30 years, yes, I have two children, I think where the lines really start getting blurred is when you talk about the argument that you had with your husband or the fact that your children are staying out till 3 o'clock in the morning and they're uncontrollable and patients get drawn into that. You have to remember, too, a lot of these patients, especially in the home care situation, chronically ill patients that receive therapy for many, many years, they can be very isolated. Because of their illnesses, they may not have a lot of social contact. They may not get a lot of visitors. They may not get out of the house too often. So when you come, you tend to fall into that role of everything they're missing from the outside world you can bring that to them with your conversation. Those are the areas that you really need to be careful and make sure that you're staying outside of gossip, outside of drama, outside of bringing your personal problems into the patient's life. Okay, very good. So let's kind of wrap up our discussion then. Let's, let's take it to the worst end of things. Uh, what are some of the potential ramifications of boundary violations? So there can be quite a few. And when I talk about ramifications, this can be for the patient, for the nurse, and for the organization. So let's start with the patient. Patients can lose their trust in a nurse. The relationship can be ruined. Patients can be traumatized. They might have emotional trauma. They're already ill. And so any kind of damage that we do to the nurse-patient relationship can really impact the patient. And it can impact their path to wellness, too, because we know that stress is a huge factor in wellness in general. So we don't want patients to feel stress or feel any kind of um, bad feelings about the relationship that they have with their nurse. So when we talk about consequences to the nurse, this can start out as causing compassion fatigue I know that we talk a lot about compassion fatigue, and it's because we take on these burdens. We take on burdens from patients. Patients take on burdens from us. But eventually, it really can cause burnout um, from, from a nurse perspective. It can cause tension within the nursing team. So if you have patients that you refuse to let any other nurses touch or you're bad-mouthing, another nurse or your organization in front of a patient, and then 
for some reason, another person does see that patient and they might repeat that. So you can be impacting your overall team and you can be impacting the reputation of the organization that you work for. But finally, and this can be most serious for nurses, there are consequences that you can receive from the Board of Nursing. So when these violations, if these violations are reported by anyone, and that could be a coworker, a patient, a family member, you will be put under investigation for that. And investigations can take years. And results of investigations can be that your license may be suspended. You can get a reprimand. Um, and the worst case scenario is your license can be permanently revoked, which would not allow you to practice in healthcare again. So, of course, that is the worst case scenario, but it's something that everybody needs to keep in the back of their mind. Okay, very good. That was the tough part of our conversation here. So, um, you've really brought a, an excellent topic for us to consider today, and I. Um, I would like us to think about uh, moving further with this topic, uh, bringing in uh, the discussion that comes from the Code of Ethics uh, for nurses, and uh, perhaps maybe doing a webinar in the future, um, pulling out more specifics, um, helping us uh, see again where are the red flags, and I like the idea of that spectrum or that continuum that you talk about where we could find ourselves on that place and actually even use it as a little measure uh, to evaluate or self-reflect on each of our relationships that we have with patients um, to, to continually monitor for this. What do you say? I think that would be an excellent idea because I think a lot of us find ourselves in one side or the other of that continuum, and maybe we don't know how to get out of it. Maybe we don't know how to move back into a therapeutic relationship. And I think many people may be struggling with this and just don't know who to reach out to. And I think it is really important to continue having these open conversations about this topic. Very good. Th Rachel, thank you so much for being my guest today on Talking in Vain. I look forward to our um, conversations in the future about this topic and do wish you the best in your practice as you move forward as well. Thank you so much, Dawn. And this concludes this episode of Talking in Vain. Thank you for listening.